Welcome back, listeners. Happy New Year. Episode 18, The Soul of a Nation, January 9th, 2021. I cannot profess to be a good student of history. In fact, I did not like history when I was in high school. The subject just didn't excite me like math did. I passed my history classes with flying colors, but to me it was a matter of memorizing dates and names. It wasn't until my sophomore year at Morgan State College, as it was known then, that history, and U.S. history in particular, began to spark my, my interest. It is said that good teachers, good teachers, know how to reach any kind of student, regardless of their learning style. My college history professor was such a teacher. He brought the country's past alive for me. His most favorite topic to lecture on was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Even with a lisp, he said the name with admiration, pride, and distinction. Initially, I paid attention solely because of name recognition. My father's name was Roosevelt. Gradually, Professor Woodward described how this crippled from polio president handled the crises the United States faced, the Depression, World War II, and other such catastrophic situations. My professor's excitement was palpable as he told the class how the implementation of the Social Security Act saved the common working person. FDR's fireside chats were measures of calming and healing, much like the practice of meditation these days. I would look forward to going to history class because I didn't know what new story I would hear. When it came time for end of semester exams, for history classes, we had to write essays in a five by seven inch blue book, books we bought from the bookstore for 25 cents. Each booklet had about 15 wide-line pages. I think I ran across a few of my blue books when I found my old-school briefcase a few years ago. I know why I saved several of them. For that history class exam, I got an A. Why? Because one of the essay questions we could choose to write about was, yeah, you got it, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Although I was the first to graduate in my family making history, after I graduated, I never really gave history another thought. In the past 20 years, I think my interest in history was revived though. It started with my first post-retirement project to research my family history. I spent almost a year going to the Maryland archives in Annapolis to learn about my ancestors. I got as far back as 1831 on my mother's side and the mid-1800s on my father's. I was excited to learn that at both time frames, my ancestors were free people. A second cousin on my father's side has traced us back to the first freed married couple, William and Caroline. But the thing that has prompted me to write this episode is the history that is currently in the making and how this country got to this place of division, destruction, distrust, and dissemination of inaccurate information. 
While I am not an endowed practicing researcher, I will construct what I believe is the background for why the times we live in now are are at its lowest and saddest point. Since slavery started in this country in the early 17th century, I contend that we have never healed, leaving a stench in the air, a stain on the country's soul. Other countries engaged in indentured servitude and honored their promise of payment of some kind at the end of the period of indenture. But my ancestors never got their 40 acres and a mule. President Lincoln saw the carnage of the Civil War, a war that addressed the inhumanity of free and torturous slave labor to produce an economy for white farm owners who needed their cotton and tobacco tended tended to on stolen land by any means necessary. If the movie Lincoln, starring Daniel Day-Lewis, is told truthfully, that president had a conscience found the courage to do the right thing against all personal odds. The war ended with the Emancipation Proclamation, what we would now call an executive order, and the enslaved were declared free in 1963 if they lived in states that had rebelled. And the subsequent 13th Amendment to the Constitution freed all enslaved people. So it seemed that descendants from Africans stolen from their homeland would be free to live as they pleased. Except a band of masked white men, much like the ones formed to capture runaway slaves, continued with the idea to capture and imprison freedmen as they looked for jobs. The captured were made to work the stolen land as a form of punishment. However, productivity to restore the nation after the war had begun created a reconstruction period that allowed the freedmen and women to thrive. There were several states in the South that even had black representation in in the legislature. But in 1876, those who never accepted the idea that former slaves should be free to live as they please, revolted by voting in President Rutherford B. Hayes, who ended reconstruction. Any progress gained had been lost. People of color, we were actually called colored, were made to live separately in a country called the United States of America. There was separate and unequal everything. Signage said so, especially in the South. The Jim Crow era is the name given to this period. Jim Crow, a minstrel, was the reason they named it Jim Crow. White people simply could not envision that colored people who previously worked the stolen land for free were entitled to live good or near them, especially if they did good or better than them. The Ku Klux Klan punished them for doing so. The lynchings happened at will. If a white person was angered for any reason by something a colored person did or didn't do, or some other white person said they did or didn't do, they had their children watch these punishments so they would know what to do when they became adults. There were a few notable white people 
who saw and felt it necessary to preserve colored people's cultural richness. They sponsored or promoted them through the arts. Thus came the Holland Renaissance era. But even during this period of artistic acknowledgement, there was division infused in the colored community. Zora Neale Hurston wrote stories to preserve the authenticity and language of colored people as they tried to survive in a country that left them high and dry. Lots of debates ensued with, with, with um, Zora and Langston Hughes, whose poetry was written with the intent to uplift. Around the turn of the 20th century, W.E.B. Du Bois sparred with Booker T. Washington about the manner in which to educate enslaved, former enslaved people. Get a college degree or teach them a trade. Yet colored people tenaciously and separately lived as best they could regardless of their degree or trade. The menial jobs were plentiful, but they did not pay well. People from the South left farms to migrate up north when factories used their labor for minimum, minimum wages. Eventually, they got really sick and tired of being sick and tired. And when Rosa Parks said she would not give up her seat on a bus after a long day of working, another era was born, the Civil Rights Era. Prominent Southern officials like Bull Connor and George Wallace felt emboldened and announced their hatred of the idea that Negroes, as we were called then, could live like white people. How dare them! Martin Luther King Jr. led marches, held meetings with dignitaries, even got President Lyndon Johnson to sign a couple of bills, one to give Negroes the right to vote, though the 14th Amendment had already said so, and the other that gave them the ability to live and work wherever they could. Progress, right? Or did the racist thinkers simply go underground, waiting for a signal to stand down and stand by after they killed Dr. King? Once Negroes recovered from the death of Dr. King, it was cool to be black in America. We wore our hair naturally because we were no longer need because we no longer needed to straighten our hair to look white, easing the discomfort white people felt if we honored our heritage or reminded them how we looked when they stole us. Fortune 500 companies hired us. We bought homes in the suburbs and our children went to college, even at predominantly white colleges and universities. We thrived and made progress athletically as well as capitalistically. In the early 90s, technology began to expand in ways we couldn't even see. The internet allowed people to communicate in nanoseconds. Information, good and fake, could be shared around the world with just a click of the computer keyboard. Social media became a good platform, and it was used by a skinny black man with a funny name to not only become senator for Illinois, but president of the United States. Oh. My. God. We who are now called African Americans were overjoyed with pride. We certainly had overcome, right? It was a post-racial era. Yeah? 
but it seemed the undercurrent of the newest generation of former cotton and tobacco farmers was incensed at having a black man, a true African-American, run the country they claimed to have built. The nerve of it all. And thus, I believe, was born the makings of the Trump era. Tanahasi Coates, a native Baltimorean who writes for the Atlantic magazine and who has written several great nonfiction books, said in an interview about his book, Eight Years When We Were in Power, that if we hadn't had an Obama, we wouldn't have gotten a Trump. The rhetoric that started by this golden-haired white man began with questioning Obama's birthright to run. People listened intently and believed it. Fake news had begun. A tea party stirred the cauldron and the ground began to rumble and shift as if the roots of a racist tree were silently about to break ground. It seemed to me that the egregious treatment of black men escalated during Obama's presidency, especially with the success of his being re-elected. The audacity of a second term. Some incidents got national attention. Baltimore erupted in 2014 when Freddie Gray entered a paddy wagon alive and exited on a stretcher bound for the morgue. Errol Garner was choked to death because five or six cops wanted to stop him from selling loose cigarettes on New York City streets. A 14-year-old boy was playing with a toy gun in a park and was shot to death because of a call to the police. Another young boy was walking home at night after buying Skittles and was shot for trespassing by a neighborhood watchman. And he wasn't even a policeman. I don't have the space, time, or voice to cite the rest of the people who were killed, at least the ones I know about. And just like the lynchings, impunity reigned. I looked up the definition, and Webster says, impunity, exemption from punishment or freedom from the injurious consequences of an action. To paraphrase another quote from Ta-Nehisi, to be white in America is to self-deputize. I say, shades of the KKK or what? I may not be 100% accurate when I say not one white person involved in the shootings I mentioned or the ones I haven't has been punished for their action. Nor has the current president about to leave his White House in less than two weeks offered any concern or condolences. How he got to this highest position in the home of the free and brave is mesmerizing. I traveled to Australia in 2016, a week before the presidential election. When Australians I met realized I was from the United States, they would say immediately in a horrified tone, how can you let a reality show host become president? I couldn't answer them then, but now I can. Because of Obama, perhaps, that's why. Trump beat Hillary Clinton in 2016 with electoral votes, and for his second run for president, 74 million people 
voted for him, despite his reality show background, despite his blatant sexism, racism, and lack of empathy for people who have died because he failed to address the severity of a virus that has led to a pandemic the world has never seen. Despite his jealousy of following the stellar job done by a black man as president, despite his disrespect for people with disabilities or those who were imprisoned while defending the country he is leading, Despite his lack of complicity with producing personal tax information, despite his spread of false information like a dollop of Miracle Whip heaped onto a huge turkey sandwich, no matter what he says, does, or doesn't do, no matter what he said, did, or didn't do, there is no punishment. And because of his inability to accept that 74 million votes were not enough to get him a second term, he has been allowed to act with such impunity that he felt kingly enough to incite an insurrection resulting in an attack on the Capitol building filled with senators and representatives about to put the final stamp on the pronouncement that Joe Biden was president, would be president, and a non-white, non-male, a black Asian woman would be vice president and they would lead, lead the United States of America come January 20th. What has baffled me is how so many Republicans in the House of Representatives and Senators could be quiet about the four years of shenanigans, questionable international attachments and detachments, misdemeanors, and borderline high crimes committed by such a man known to throw a temper tantrum much like a toddler experiencing the terrible twos. Is it because their pockets were spilling over from the highs of the stock market, recovered because of Obama's eight years? I will give ex-Governor Romney lots of credit for having a faith-filled conscience and not a political one. He stood alone long ago, citing the harm and dangers such a man could do to this nation. How the others sleep at night must be due to the noisy CPAP machines that drown out their greedy thoughts. I listened to his rhetoric that day on the Feast of the Epiphany, something I have not had the interest to do before not even the State of the Union addresses. But I felt some curiosity, just enough to tune into C-SPAN radio as I ran a few errands with my mask on and my gloves in my pocket. And later, C-SPAN TV, because no regular network carried the poor loser's event. The words I heard were unconscionable, incendiary, They were not spoken by a man of power, but by a mad and angry man who sensed his limited power for only 15 more days as president of the so-called model nation. The audience was filled with what I would call members of a self-deputized lynch mob wearing no masks, with children in tow to learn how it's done. They were ready and waiting for the signal to burn the cross on the lawn, to cut the rope holding the noose. And there was a noose. 
They were crazed people, needing just a flicker of a match to set them alight and attack and bypass the questionably unprepared and unskilled Capitol Police on duty without backup from the armed National Guard to enter and destroy the building. They got the long-awaited green light because Trump, at last, turned it on. Two hours after I left the TV to practice with my guitar group, I returned to watching TV and found the world was witnessing a takeover live and in living non-color. The fear I had reminded me of the sinking feeling when the country was bombed on 9-11. But this time, the United States was self-imploding. Was this really happening in this country? Had our addiction to white supremacy, greed, and fake news got us here? Have we reached rock bottom? What a job left for the incoming administrators, administrations. It's a monumental task now. Almost, after almost 200 years of missteps and bad inconsequential behavior, perhaps the chickens have finally come home to roost, Malcolm X. Perhaps like the coronavirus pandemic, this country is sadly out of control. We can no longer deny the truth about how we got here to this place, a place where the soul of the nation is at stake big time. It may be impossible to drive underground once more that ugly, ignorant, entitled, hate-filled, resentment-fueling the nation, the notion that this is a white country and only white people can make the rules and rule it, no matter the qualifications. It feels like another civil war is about to go down if somebody is not held accountable. And we will be like all the other nations who have lost their soul and who are still left searching for it amidst the carnage of those who chose to stand up for the ideals. Can American history ever be great? This is a new year, only nine days old, but it already feels as bad as the last one. Let's pray for better things to come in 2021. Till next time.